Hello, vinyl lovers. I'm Antonio Staropoli. And I'm Chris Myers. And you're listening to Taste of Vinyl. Where's the snarky comment? <laughs> Not, hap- Not I, happening today. Uh, uh, I was feeling a little bit paranoid about uh, doing one, so. Ah, uh, bit of a ch- <laughs> I think if people the tune ch- into the end of the episode, they might get that reference. <laughs> uh, welcome, listeners. We have an awesome show for you today. With us is co-owner of Brinkman Audio, Matthias Luck. Uh, welcome, Matthias. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're, we're thrilled to have you. It's very exciting for us. Uh, so the company's actually headquartered in Germany, but you're talking to us from Denmark, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So you've heard the, the podcast before, I'm sure. So the first thing we do is analog or digital? <laughs> That's not an easy uh, easy question to answer. So uh, it's loaded. It's it a loaded depends. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it right. depends. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's that's you know I always think that that's the fair answer uh, to that question. So Matthias, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? We know that you're a musician. Uh, we understand that you have a doctorate in electrical engineering, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'm I'm uh, with Brinkman Audio for uh, about four years now, and uh, since 2018, I'm co-owner, so close to three years now. But um, my love for music and electronics goes back to when I was like 11 or 12. So nice. I uh, used to play in a band at that time and didn't have any money. And uh, so the the keyboard uh, spot was uh, was open, but uh, I couldn't afford a synthesizer. Um, and uh, I mean, except especially during those times, were all analog synthesizers. And, right. Um, and that time I started uh, my electronics hobby by building a synthesizer. Um, so that was my first... Uh, first bigger project and um yeah then from there it was always there was always a combination between music love and and electronics so wow. then my uh, connection to Brinkman audio already started more than 30 years ago when i i was working as a freelance developer at that time more for companies that did uh, audio for um uh, for for uh, for musicians, so mm-hmm. guitar amps or bass amps or mixers for clubs, which uh, were yeah. called discotheques at that time. And right. um, yeah, we were going to ask you about what what you did prior to Brinkman, so yeah. like th- that kind of work experience. Yeah. So and that that was um, yeah that was was with the uh, uh, with, with those company one company in Germany called Glockenklang that. Um, Builds uh, mainly bass and, and and guitar amps, and uh, at that time the the guy who was owning Glockenklang, he he was actually a friend of Helmut Brinkmann, and that's the first time when I listened to a Brinkmann system and got got hooked. Ah, okay, so and that's how you were introduced. Exactly, cool. exactly. And then uh, at the same time, I studied electrical engineering. And um, as you already said, I did a PhD in digital signal processing, and um, but I was already earning money with my uh, with my freelance work, and 
also had like several other companies that were not related to Audi. I owned a car sharing company in Germany and uh, we did some laser and light shows. Um, wow. But then when I did the uh, when I did the <laughs> PhD at the university, after that I thought, well, I mean, this laser light show thing and also the audio, I'm not sure that I can do this until I'm uh, whatever, 60, 70. Right. So I was uh, looking for a proper job and... Um, Right. I was right. also, I also thought that there are things in, I love to work in small companies, but I, th I thought there are things that you can learn in larger corporations that you can't learn in a small company, but that are sure. still relevant for a small sure. company. Mm -hmm. So, uh, then I went to Nokia. Um, and it was just like when Nokia, I mean, got all the hype and uh, like, um, if, I mean, association of mobile phone was with Nokia during those right. times. Okay. And did some project management there and, uh, was in the, in the games, mobile games department. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, so you were responsible for snake. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I would have loved to. <laughs> yeah. But I was very close to those guys that <laughs> were nice. responsible for snake. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. From there, I, um, well, long story short, um, after I left Nokia, I, I joined uh, a company that was then finally bought by Harman. Harman's, uh, I mean, no, known for their, their audio products. Um, so Harman Kardon and then, uh, GBL, Mark Levinson, you name it, AKG. Um, but I was actually not working in, uh, in any audio related field there, but, uh, was in, uh, in management of their automotive services. Oh, um, wow. And that I did for, I don't know, many years. Um, oh, almost 11 years, uh, more than 11 years. And then wow. I, well, I got fed up with a, with a big corporation life. And uh, as I said at the beginning, I thought there's something of value in my experience uh, for a small company. So I was always looking for an opportunity to go back to a small company. And nice. then, well, for taste of vinyl podcast, um, uh, this is a very digital story. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> I so Helmut Brinkmann was my the the the, the founder of Brinkmann Audio. Uh, I mean, he, he is a long year friend, and uh, I was at home and thought, well, I would like to have a, a proper DA converter streamer, so I can listen to this high res audio that was coming up and streaming services in good quality. Mm -hmm. And Brinkmann didn't have one. They had a DA converter from '86, I think which could okay. only do like a CD format. And um, so I talked to Helmut and he said, yeah, ah. but I don't know about digital. So I'm an analog guy. And I said, yeah, well, but I know about digital. So <laughs> yeah. let's work on this together. You know a little, you know a little bit about digital, <laughs> yeah. Bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the, the idea started like 2012 or something. And then uh, in, I think around 2015, uh, I was pretty confident that this could uh, could be something. And then we were at uh, the 2015 high-end show in Munich. And I told uh, Helmut, so um, if 2016 we present a DA converter on the high-end uh, that gets good feedback from uh, distributors, customers, uh, press, etc., I will quit my job and join your company. Wow. <laughs> and so we <Amazing>. did. <laughs> and now I'm 
and now I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story. That's that's awesome. So d- to the to the layman, right? The digital to analog converter. It sounds kind of like what its name implies. It's basically taking a digital signal, and like you said, there's a lot of like streaming and and you know things yeah. like that. People listening digitally, and it basically turns that digital signal into an analog signal. Yeah. That's Correct. basically what it is. Okay. Yeah. That's very cool. Now, from what I understand, you were also involved in designing a new turntable. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I was basically, I mean, there's very little digital in a new turntable um, or in a turntable as such. Sure. But I was like uh, doing the control part of, uh, of our new turntable, Taurus. Um, but the main okay. analog uh, part has been developed by by Helmut Brinkmann, and uh, of course, I've been uh, I'm following the development very closely. And we usually also we both listen to to the products during development and exchange our opinions and are like a sounding board. Gotcha. Um, so I was very close to the development, and then we have a I'm like the control of the the turntable, uh, which is. Um, um, wireless um that's been done by me but that's a very small portion of the overall uh, product so the control Mm. is done wirelessly so meaning you could play stop what have you from like a remote yes but it's not like a remote that you would know from your tv set so uh, Uh right (laughs) uh, so because that doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, sit on your listening position and then stop the turntable with a remote sure so it's just a a design feature so this turntable is a direct drive turntable Uh, meaning it doesn't have a belt so Ah. there's a very minimalistic design and then you need to place the the switches somewhere, so where the buttons where you switch it to 33 or 45 or uh-huh. And we did this uh, with a little uh, round remote that you just can place on the left or right side or in front of the turntable. And to not have any cable going from that to the turntable on, or any whatever ah. watch or so. This has been done uh, wirelessly, uh, but there were a lot of jokes about this, like a remote control for a turntable. <laughs> <laughs> that's very cool, though. Either any way you look at it, that's that's awesome. Kind of mind blowing, you know, you, just your experience in the whole industry and just being able to be involved with a company like Brinkman and and add your expertise and your kind of flavor to what's otherwise a very analog company and put your your digital you know spin on it it's very cool i'd like to li- dig a little deeper into what brinkman does as a as a company so the company kind of set out to create a hi-fi listening experience that's basically indiscernible from the real thing yeah so i mean Brinkmann exists almost now for 36 years, but Helmut Brinkmann, the founder, he had a a company before Brinkmann called Audiolabor, where he was the the development guy and he had it together with uh, uh, someone who ran the, the sales and business. Mm -hmm. And then he sold that company and started uh, Brinkmann Audio and, uh, from the very beginning, he started building turntables and also electronics, at that time, mainly amplifiers. And the thing about Brinkman sound, if you like, is 
um, authenticity. So the music should sound authentic. Mm-hmm. It's it's of it's very difficult or probably impossible to get exactly the same experience that you have like in a jazz club or in a rock concert or sure. um, at home, but but you still can get an uh, experience that is diff- that's different, maybe also more intimate. Um, because you have, I mean, like close microphones to a piano, you would in a concert hall, you would never sit that close to the piano as the, the microphones uh, record it. Um, but it's so it's it's not like making exactly the same exp- uh, the same uh, sound. It sound exactly like in the concert hall or in the jazz club, but get the same uh, transport the same emotions and. Um, let it sound, uh, yeah, authentic is the is the best word, I think. Gotcha, gotcha. That's a, I, I think that's a pretty, that's a big task to take on, for sure. It is, and they and the, um, so I I I I told about this company that I was uh, developing this um, say musicians related electronics for, mm-hmm. and my experience with Brinkman was actually that I was working with the guy, and in the background. Um, I know it like today it uh, was uh, Vladimir Horowitz, which is a classical piano player, famous one. I don't think he, uh, I mean, he, he passed away many years ago, but he was in exile in the US. And this was the concert, this first concert he gave in Moscow after coming back to Russia. So he was originally Russian, then in exile in the US. And so it was a very emotional uh, concert and when I was sitting there and we, ju- we were just I was not really like um, concentrating on the music but concentrating mm. on something else I was so touched by the music and I was like mm. turning around and saying this is amazing and uh, and that feeling is 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 what uh, yeah what we want to transport what with, you want to uh, tr- try to trans- transmit uh, with with bring on. I see. That's 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 awesome. That's amazing. And uh, you know, I haven't had the pleasure of hearing a Brinkman audio system yet. Uh, I I plan on it for sure. Um, but uh, if you know, if it's anywhere near what you're describing, um, honestly, I can't wait because um, <laughs> that sounds amazing. So the products are. I mean, they're they're rather costly. I mean, obviously, based on what you're saying, you know, these are things that are heavily uh, researched and developed and there's a lot that goes into these products and you know they create an experience that sounds like is really you can't compare it to anything else can you just kind of get into how it's developed and why it's expected to pay such a, a price so first um on the development process which um I was, I mean, very. I was into it with a with a DA converter, but have uh, seen uh, Helmut Brinkmann developing many other products. Um, so it's it's a bit like a piece of art. So the most of the work mm. uh, is actually in the head. So that um, it takes sometimes years until there's a, a concept and an idea. Not just, uh, yeah, do we want to make a, a turntable or do we want to make a whatever a DA converter, but how mm. to, to build it and what are the special things inside and what are the circuit concepts, uh, etc. And, um, I think what Helmut is famous for is that he's, is out of the box thinking. 
Um, mm -hmm. So don't have any dogmas. Um, always, I mean, you have has a lot of experience, but always try to start from a blank sheet. And mm. um, so that takes that takes a lot of time. And then, and then the next one is that okay. So you have an idea, and then you start building uh, some kind of prototype, and you try different concepts you had in mind. And then you get a direction on okay, this might this might work, uh, this might not work, and um, and then when you are at a point when you say okay, this concept I think um, might work, then you need to build a prototype that is very close to the final product. Um, so in ele in uh, in electronics like amplifiers, this makes a big difference. For example, if you put it in the final cabinet. How heavy it is, et cetera, et cetera. So you need to have something that is close to the final product. And then, I mean, then you measure and everything is working, but then comes the, comes the long work on the fine tuning and uh, getting right. it to sound right. And that might take a year. It might take wow. even longer. Or it wow. might take and be, be shorter. It depends a bit on, of course, how, how good it turns out in the first, in the first place. And then you go and try, okay, you think this is a problem. And then you, um, you, you go with certain paths of optimization. And then you see, well, I'm, I'm actually, it's, it's, get, it's getting worse. Then you go back and then you try something else. So it's a lot of, uh, trial and error and, uh, and long listening sessions. Mm. And then you also need to get to the point where you say, okay, now it's, it's ready because it always can be improved. And then there's a discussion. They say at some point, okay, now, now it's good enough. Um, and, mm. uh, we are, we are all, um, how do you say we are satisfied with the result? And then, and then the product goes, uh, uh, to market. Yeah, goes to the market. Yeah. Exactly. Sounds like it's very, engineering intensive and then a lot of research is still done once something is developed so that it takes a lot of time it sounds like before something yeah, it, is actually it, it takes a lot it takes a lot of time and it's engineering but it's also um yeah it's a it's a lot of uh, fine-tuning listening and fine-tuning yeah, and, yeah. and balancing so people right often have the impression that okay you you build an audio product and there is one way to improve it so you know you you get better components then it sounds better no it's always a balance so you it's mm. like a good component at one place can uh, can uh, can Effect. be an improvement but in an another place it might not be an improvement so you always have to right. balance balance the sound and balance the thing and that's the and that needs a lot of experience uh, but also takes a lot of time to to uh, to get right. to the to the final result. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you for that. Um, speaking of uh, turntables, though, um, you know we we're from the U.S., where a good portion of our listeners are from. Could you kind of tell us what the company's like flagship turntable is, and or like the most popular turntable in the U.S. Yeah, so in the U.S., we in fact are more known for our turntables than for uh, our um, yeah amplifiers. electronics and mm. amplifiers, etc. So um, sure. so I start with our entry model. That's the Bardo turntable that has been uh, selling very well in the U.S. Uh, that's a direct drive turntable, um, and we, we we also build tone arms. 
And uh, our smallest toner is called 10.0, and that's the length of the toner is 10.0 inches. Uh, so that's where the, where, the, where the name comes from. So that Bardo turntable has been developed in, I think, 2009 or so, around that time, mm-hmm. and constantly, uh, constantly been been Im- Im- improved. And uh, yeah, that's the that's the entry entry model, and and the most popular one. In, and in the, the most US. popular, I think, hmm. still at that time. But we, I, I mentioned the Taurus. Um, Yes, a new direct drive model, which is our not our top model uh, overall, but our top direct drive model that has been selling also very well in the US. We presented it uh, one and a half years ago in Munich on the high end show, and sell it since uh, October last year. And that's uh, basically uh, so our marketing guy called it a, a Bardo on steroids. <laughs> 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 so that's. Uh, it's still the same as the same motor uh, motor system, but an improved uh, motor control, and it has a thicker chassis and and a number of other um, other improvements. So that's our top um, uh, direct drive model, top of the line. Then I mean the top of the overall line top is the, the balance. The top of the top okay. is the balance. Uh-huh. <laughs> the balance yeah. is. Uh, is actually the oldest product we we still sell. It mm-hmm. uh, it actually actually started selling in eighty five. Um, wow! So it's uh, yeah, we sell it since um, almost thirty six years now. It has been significantly improved since uh, thirty uh, in in the in those thirty six years. But uh, most of the previous models uh, could can still be upgraded uh, by us if a customer. I want so so. Uh, oh, interesting. That's uh, yeah. That's one of our prom- promises: is that when if you invest in one of our products, or I mean, as much as it makes sense, we 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 promise to uh, be able to upgrade them also in ten or 15, 20 years. Wow. And the the balance is still the top model. It's a bell drive turntable. At the time when it uh, when it was. Uh, was launched in eighty five. It it had a it a so called Pabst motor. Pabst is a is, is a company that uh, produced um, motors at that time. Uh, in the meantime, we developed our own motor, and um, it comes either with two or one tone arm. And uh, yeah, it's it's the the flagship, and um, that that I mentioned that we are thirty six years old. We yeah. turned obviously thirty three uh, in. 2018 mm-hmm. and for a turntable company 33 is uh it's an important it's a, anniversary it's an important year one. yes <laughs> yes so we <laughs> we launched uh, uh, a limited edition of this balanced turntable which is called, oh. called the 33rd anniversary and uh, we had a company that that builds this uh, like platforms where you can put your hi-fi gear on called hrs in the us they built a special platform for that anniversary uh, anniversary mo- model we have a special wow. tube power supply coming with this etc so that's the that's the top of the top of the top models that we still have a few available so if somebody's interested <laughs> wow 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 excellent and speaking so, of that the 33rd anniversary you guys also for the anniversary released a record on vinyl yeah that's correct so um when we had the 33rd anniversary um 
so first of all, we thought, okay, what what can we do to celebrate this? So one thing was then say, okay, let's let's do this uh, this limited edition. We we only produce thirty three of those uh, special turntables, and I thought, well, <laughs> but uh, we also need to have some uh, some content, some uh, some vinyl for it, and. Um, I mean, there's a lots of audiophile records out there, great recordings, um, etc. And um, I mean, we are a relatively small company, so we we couldn't uh, engage uh, a, a big a big label or, uh, or or a big band or something in in in, in something like this. But uh, sure, sure. Um, I I myself uh, play the Hammond organ uh, in a, in a rock wow. band, and so I go to every concert where a Hammond organ is somehow involved and so also went to a trio concert of uh, a band called Blicker Hammer Gett and that's a jazz trio and the the drummer is Steve Gett from the US who is uh, probably the one of the most famous uh, drummers uh, alive he um, he played with Simon and Garfunkel on the famous Hyde Park concert in the 70s he played with Stale uh, with uh, Steely Dan, he's uh, currently um, the drummer in Eric Clapton's band, so he right. played with uh, with with everyone, nice. and uh, and the and the rest of the trio, um, which is uh, Michael Blicker and Dan Hammer. Dan Hammer plays the Hammond organ, and Michael Blicker the saxophone. And so I heard this here in Denmark, and I thought this is great music, and then I thought, okay, why not? I mean, have a start with great music and. Uh, uh, and try to make it sound um, as good as possible. So I didn't have any hopes that Blicker Hemmerget would be uh, uh, willing uh, to uh, to do this project with us, but I just called this guy Michael Blicker up, and he said, "Ah, oh, this sounds interesting." And when you do when you do a vinyl reissue or or work with a band. You often run into the problem of uh, of the license of the music, which is then sure, they have right. some contract with a big label, and they don't allow them to do anything on the side, or the label is not interesting interested in doing um, a small project like this. Sure. But this band, they owned their own music and they had their own label, so that wasn't an obstacle. Oh, that's lucky. Oh, that worked out well. <laughs> so. They said, yeah, sounds like a great idea. So I had Michael Blicker, saxophone player at my home. He listened to, to my system and his music on, on that system. Uh-huh. And he was, uh, was really excited. And then um, <laughs> we said, okay, can we get Steve Get over from the US to, to do this record? I said, ah, that will be difficult for two reasons. One thing is, um, I mean, of course, it's, it's costly, et cetera, but the, Sure. The main reason is that at that time they said we don't record in studios. We only record live because we don't play in a studio. We don't play uh, as good and uh, with that energy that we play when we play live. Okay. And I said, wow. okay, uh, so what do we do? Yeah, we have <laughs> recorded almost a- every concert we did in the past, uh, I think, four years they played together or three and a half or something. So okay, great. So we make some kind of greatest hits album. I said yes. Wow. Cool. <laughs> so we picked, I think it was 10, 10 pieces, or the band picked ten pieces. That's where their um, their favorite uh, favorite tracks. Okay. And we said, okay, so how do we uh, go about this? So of course the recording was not analog; it was digital. But as I said, we start from great music and then try to make. Uh, 
it sound as good as possible and not the other way around. So, uh, like uh, start with a great sound and then, uh, I mean, have some music on it that is okay, <laughs> but not uh, not great. So, <laughs> so, so that's, uh, so this recording is actually not that bad. And um, okay. so we went to a studio in Germany, Railroad Tracks, and we did a, uh, we remastered all the 10 tracks. Uh-huh. And um, then we, used our DA converter to convert it to analog. Oh wow. Ah. And then went and so <laughs> there were the where where the um uh, yeah Brinkmann electronics come uh, into play. And it's very usually studios are very picky on if you want to I mean want to change something in their workflow because I mean that studio they they uh, cut like 14 um record uh, sites per day. So mm. if you like figure around with their with their workflow or change parts of their electronics, I mean they're very like uh, okay, that's a big risk for us that the whole thing <laughs> might not work for a couple of days. But uh, yeah. they were willing to to do this, so we go went directly from our DA converter, uh, the Nyquist, into the cutting machine, mm-hmm. um, and then we cut it on. Um, on copper, so it's called DMM, direct metal mastering, uh, wow. which allows you to directly do uh, a stamper from that copper master. So um, when you cut wow. in lacquer, lacquer, you first do right. uh, uh, a mother and a father, and then you get the stamper. So you you basically um, yeah have two steps less in 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 in, in the process. Hmm. So we did this. And uh, and then we pressed the record at a pressing plant here in Denmark, a boutique pressing plant, where I was able to be there with the process and do quality control with our turntables. Wow. <laughs> and uh, we pressed it in 140 grams and not 180 grams. <laughs> yes, I, w- I wanted to get into that with you. But, but f- I have a question about, yeah. since you had mentioned when you guys had recorded this uh, and you brought it to the studio to remaster, you put it through the DA converter. Yes. Is that something that a lot of like recording studios, is that something that they use like so, regularly? So so most recordings, I, I without knowing exact statistics, but I assume most recordings today are digital. I don't know, ninety percent, ninety-five percent. Sure, whatever. sure. And um, and the, and the, and they have to run through a DA converter. So um, that is uh, I I, mean, you okay. Have, you, so so you every, have to get an analog system, uh, analog signal into the cutting machine. Oh, okay. That that's specifically when you're you're talking about vinyl. Yes. So, uh, exactly. What's yeah. interesting to me is is you know, the idea of a recording studio, you know, doing this, because like you said, I mean, most studios are recording digitally. So, yeah. I, you know, I, it's just a, a very interesting concept to me and was just curious about, you know, how typical it is, if it's common to see this sort of thing where, you know, recording studios will have a DA converter and once they, you know, have their digital recording, then they, you know, convert it to analog so that they can that they can do this. It's just it's a very interesting concept to me because, you know, Chris sure. and I have recorded in the past before, and mm-hmm. you know we've never heard of anything or seen anything like that. So just a very very cool concept. 
so uh, I had a question. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, no. Sorry. I was just, uh, I was just going to ask. Um, it, so for the whole process, I mean, it's pretty much you're getting like a full Brinkman uh, listening experience going from getting your guys music to running it through the Nyquist digital analog converter and obviously being able to play it on that 33rd uh, ba- anniversary balance mm-hmm. uh, turntable. I was curious though, just for anyone who's listening, um, how much did or does the 33rd anniversary uh, balance package cost? So the, f- the, the package, which comes with, a, with one tone arm and the second tone arm you can pick. So you can say, okay, I would like to, I don't know, whatever, another Brinkman tone arm or maybe from another company. Oh, interesting. Um, then you have this custom platform. You have a tube power supply with special um, NOS. That means a new old stock. So old tubes that are, well, they are old but not used. Um, and then uh, uh, an anniversary book, so like a coffee table book, and this this uh, and the first thirty three of the pressings of this uh, special thirty three record, they come with a signature of the of the band and Helmut Brink wow. uh, come with it, and uh, everything in nice flight cases. Though the whole package cost uh, uh, sixty five thousand dollars. Nice, uh, wow, nice. <laughs> That's. Uh, I mean, that's, I, I get it. Um, and you mentioned just now that the first 33 are signed. How many of those records did you guys actually press total? So we pressed uh, 500 in total. Okay. Okay. How hard is that to and find at this point? Uh, come again? How hard how, is this? How okay, hard? So I, I just saw on Discogs, I saw one uh-huh. guy actually selling one. Okay. Um, so they were, they were sold out Um Actually, they were sold out before we have pressed them. So oh, that's, wow. Uh, wow. Pre-order. So, Very yeah, so cool. That, so, and, and, we, and it was our first LP. So we were like, okay, how many do we do? Um, and then, then, I mean, from one stamper, you can only do a certain number until the, sure. the, the quality stamper. Goes, uh, exactly. Sure. So yeah. this sure. was just one stamper and, uh, yeah, 500 records. And they are unfortunately sold out. <laughs> Well, that shows the uh, how many people really really wanted it to ha- buy it before it was even stamped. That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love that. And kind of getting into the, the the record itself, you guys said that you pressed it on 140 grams instead of 180, which you know most audiophiles, when you talk to them, will tell you you know the heavier the better. And there's this whole trend with 180 gram vinyl and it's you know that's like the that's like the standard now but you guys have a totally different take on this you you think that 140 grams is the way to go that's the sweet spot yeah and the uh, the experience comes from i mean from helmut helmut brinkmann and i i mean it's very difficult to find exactly the same pressing of a record in 140 and 180 grams to compare yeah because usually it's remastered or it's done i'm pressed in a a different uh, pressing plant or something like that so but we sure i mean we had on the special 33 we had versions pressed in 180 and 140 grams and could directly Mm. compare wow and um the whole thing i mean a a turntable i hope i'm i will not be too technical but the one (laughs) Uh, <laughs> one thing in, in a turntable is you need to get rid of resonances and unwanted distortions, if you like. Sure. And those 
those happen. I mean, where the needle hits the hits the um, uh, hits the record, you you need to get resonances away from the needle as fast as possible. And there are well, to simplify, there are two ways they get away from the needle. One is um, through the cartridge and the tone arm into the turntable, so through the uh-huh. tone arm and the bearing. And okay. then the other way is through the uh, through the um, record into the the platter and then the bearing of the turntable and then so then they're going away there so you need to make sure that this path doesn't have any uh, obstacles for for the for those for those uh, resonances so that's uh, okay. that's how our turntables are built so vinyl is a is a relatively soft material so if you look at our turntables the platter is made of aluminum mm-hmm. and a special uh, special aluminum and then we have a a crystal glass platter that is in that um, in that al- aluminum, so you have vinyl, um, glass, and then aluminum, and mm-hmm. uh, so the speed of sound is then uh, it's relatively slow in the vinyl because it's a, a, a relatively soft material. It's faster in the glass and then in the al- aluminum, and the thicker the vinyl is, the m- the the more it is a barrier. Of getting resonances away from the from the from the needle, from the cartridge, and it also damps. So it's also a dampening material. So if the if the record is relatively thin, then uh, these resonances are it's it's faster to uh, I don't know, to, to ground dissipate. those uh, those, those uh, yeah dissipate those those uh, those resonances exactly. Wow, and and that's that's our. Um, explanation for this phenomena. Um, wow. So that that means that if the the thinner the record, the the better you can handle the resonances. Um, that's at least true for our turntables. We don't, I mean we haven't done a scientific uh, <laughs> evaluation of this. Um, <laughs> but but of course, if the record is too thin, then you get warping and uh, and sure. lots lots of other lots of other problems. I, I talked with a cutting engineer. That cut our records in that studio, and he said they uh, he he was previous EMI uh, employee, and he did all the like Pink Floyd for the European market in oh nice in the seventies and all the I mean every EMI release on on vinyl he he did it all, and uh, he said they had actually done experiments in the in the like uh, early eighties where they mm. went down to one hundred ten grams was what was still producible without bigger problems. But uh-huh. then it got really, uh, got really, uh, uh, yeah, really difficult if you go below. And sure. we think that like 140 is 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 like the sweet spot where it's uh, still stable enough, but uh, but sound wise, it's it's more dynamic than the 180 grams. Hmm. And wow. uh, I wouldn't rule out that there are turntables where 180 grams sound better than 140. But uh, so far, our experience is. Uh, uh, that at yeah, least with your turntable. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. So interesting. So maybe you, you might not have an opinion on this or, or a, a position on it because you probably haven't scientifically tested this, but for my own edification and for our own edification, are you, or do you have any thoughts on colored vinyl? Because you know, audiophiles out there again. You know, they they're very uh, they're very steadfast about their beliefs with 180 gram vinyl. Yeah. And I've heard many times, you know, colored vinyl just it's not the same and it ruins the sound. And you know, me personally, 
speaking from personal experience, and maybe I don't have the the ear for it, although I am a musician. Um, I can't tell the difference between some of my my black vinyl and my colored vinyl. So I don't know. Do you have any any thoughts on this at all? So I've I've discussed this with. Uh, um, so as I said, the the pressing plant here, Norsoy Records in Denmark. I'm I'm visiting them on a regular basis, just twenty minutes from my house. So uh, we've discussed mm. that. Uh, I mean, first we have discussed. Um, different vinyl qualities. So black vinyl is not black vinyl. So we actually tried like <laughs> vinyl from the Netherlands, from Italy, and from Germany, and they sounded different. One was wow. harder than the, than the other. So there's there's already a difference there. Uh, they huh. they claimed um, that uh, colored vinyl is as good as black black vinyl nowadays. I have not evaluated that. I have a number of colored uh, records and um mm. they 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 sound great um i, th- yeah. I think 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 the uh, the the downside of colored vinyl in the uh, in the past was that it's, there's more noise mm, so right. more ba- background noise um but uh, according to the pressing plant they said um colored vinyl today is uh, as good as 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 black vinyl Huh. And that might very well be true because, uh, again, I have a number of colored vinyls in my collection, and it's you know, and it's I, I don't have uh, you know a black vinyl and a colored vinyl of the same record, so I can't really compare that way. But I can certainly compare between you know all of the black and all of the color that I have, and and again, I I really <laughs> I haven't a- I noticed anything. You know, there there wasn't anything that was glaring at me like, oh man, you know, this sounds like shit. Like, I, you know, nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing like that. So, um, I, I just kind of wanted to to get uh, the opinion of of an expert. So that's that's interesting. Good good to know. That oh, uh oh sorry. Uh, go ahead, I Chris. Just, uh, I was just gonna say that makes me wonder. Then um, I I think we were gonna ask before, but I don't know if we got into it. What your actual setup looks like, and uh, uh, you know what your vinyl collection looks like. Yeah, so my my setup is I have a full Brinkman system. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. <laughs> Not a shock. Not a shock. Yeah. Um, and currently, I have a balance. So our top model, I. Nice. So I mean, the thing is. When I got, I mean, when I started with Brinkman, I was like, oh, great. Now it's like music, listening to music is now my profession. That's great. I mean, I also need to, I mean, until I think two weeks ago, I had our Taurus direct drive. So also like switching, switching turntables here and there. So I have a full, full Brinkman system and my vinyl collection. Well, I started collecting vinyl when I was, I don't know. My first vinyl I probably bought when I was 12 or 13 or something. And then I sold everything, as many people did, when almost <laughs> every vinyl. CDs. <laughs> like in the mid-80s yeah. when the CD came up. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> which I, uh, well, which I've uh, regretted more than once. Mm. And then, then I started <laughs> I, again. <laughs> we I hear that. In the early 2000s. Early 2000s, I think I started again uh, collecting vinyl. And since I'm, I'm listening to, uh, well, rock music and pop music as well, but mainly it's classical and modern jazz and uh, especially classical records. I mean, there are so many great records you can buy um, that you, I mean, that, that you do, you pay nothing for if they're used. 
and uh, and that's yeah, fantastic quality. Same goes for for older jazz jazz records. And my vinyl nice. collection, I, I haven't counted them. It's I, I think it's something two and a half to three thousand. I would wow. estimate. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> that is great. That's that's impressive. And you know, we're today for on the platter. We're going to be doing uh, Paranoid by Black Sabbath. So out of those two to three thousand records, we understand that that's not one of them. Nope. <laughs> so you won't be joining. <laughs> so you won't be joining us, unfortunately. But um, but that's 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 okay. Um, it, it's still it's it's very interesting to 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 hear like what you play on this incredible sound system. So it's a lot. It sounds like it's a lot of jazz, modern jazz, and yeah. classical. So that's cool. I think yeah, one. I cool. think one thing, especially with this like high-end audiophile systems, is that it enables you to um, to discover new music. Mm. I mean, music on a like let's say uh, free jazz on a not very good hi-fi system sounds probably terrible or very chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> But the better your system gets, the more you can actually listen to music that you probably, uh, yeah, w- wouldn't have been listened to on a, on a, on a, yeah, on a, on so a, more, a so like, system. so like right. more complex, like exactly. styles of music yeah. will yeah. translate better because I guess you'll be able to decipher what's happening much better exactly. than, you, okay, okay, hmm. cool. So, that's, so it's a bit like awesome. when you are a, mu- when you are a musician and you, um, I've also played classical music uh, in my past. And then when you, I mean, uh, a modern classical piece, which you listen to and think, wow, I, I mean, can't get anything out of that. But then when you play it yourself, you discover things that uh, you don't discover. You just listen on it on a whatever cheap uh, Bluetooth boombox or something. Right. So, and, and that's for me, uh, yeah, one big plus and, and motivation Thing on yeah, on on high end systems is that you that you, there's so much music to discover, and it just helps you uh, to discover even more. <laughs> That's very Absolutely. cool. So you know, if if you're willing to make the investment, you know, get yourselves a, a, a Brinkman audio system and expand your musical palette. Yeah, it definitely goes to show that uh, the higher price definitely comes with higher quality. So and just and just more like flexibility and and it it sounds like there there are things that you wouldn't think of like what he just said you know you're able to discover new forms of music so that's that's really cool that's something that uh that you'd think of you know when investing in a in a hi-fi audio system so matthias can you tell us what is on the horizon for brinkman's future any plans anything we should look out for yeah, so we uh, will soon uh, release a new a new product, which I can't say anything about here, but it's related to turntables. Okay, hush, hush. <laughs> okay, <Yeah. laughs> so that will come uh, probably uh, early December. We will we will uh, announce wow. it, and then uh, one product we have already announced, but it's not uh, not yet materialized. That's a uh, it's mm-hmm. an integrated amplifier, which uh, oh, which. Which is uh, yeah for people that have uh, like smaller homes and uh, or want everything in in, in one package um, cool. that we that we um, uh, will release uh, mid of next next year and that will include a phono preamp so you just need a turntable and loudspeakers and uh, and you're done and it will also have the uh, option to have a digital module module in it so you can also um, yeah have streaming and uh, 
Wow. And, 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 and the whole, the whole nine. Traffic. Yes. Very cool. Beautiful. That's, that's awesome. So, um, you know, if you have any, anything that you want to say, any, you know, just anything Words that of- you may want to convey to people, the, the floor is yours. Thanks. There's one one thing I uh, we are working on that I didn't mention, which is actually a new uh, vinyl release, and that's fully uh, analog. That's fully nice. analog, and so that will probably cool. come in February. Um, so I've been in the studio three weeks ago. But one thing I I mean one message I would uh, like to give to your audience is trust trust your ears. So that's that's what I often see on shows and at dealers that people trust in certain beliefs, but they don't really trust their own ears. So mm. trust your ears, trust your emotions, play your favorite music, and see when you when you buy a system, is it touching you? Uh, because that's that's what uh, at the end counts, and it's not like uh, technical numbers or or, or prices right. or, or whatever. So. Yeah, that's the no, message beautifully I, put. I would like to give. Yeah. I, I, I love that. That's fantastic because there's definitely a lot of people out there that can benefit from that advice for sure. Um, so, yes, everyone, trust your ears. Matthias, thank you so much for coming on and going over all of this stuff. This is very useful, very interesting information for our listeners. Uh, we can't thank you enough for, for coming on. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, thanks we appreciate for having me. It. Thanks. Absolutely. And that will bring us to the On the Platter segment of the show. Oh, God, it's so good. Mmm, so good and tasty. So today we'll be discussing Paranoid by Black Sabbath, which was released in 1970 and is the band's second studio album. Uh, so, uh Chris, why don't you tell me a little bit about like your history with with this album? So, um, this album, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. You know, it's funny. It took me a while to become a fairly big uh, Black Sabbath fan. Yeah, and the reason is this: I didn't like them at first, not because I didn't like their music. I okay. personally didn't like Ozzy's like voice. Oh, all right. Well, um, hey, that's fair. Yeah. Like, I mean, and it's like, you know, and it's interesting when you have someone with a unique and a distinct voice that doesn't sound like anything else you've heard. Right. Some, pe- some people would be like, that's really cool. I take it as like, it was I grating. don't know what to think about that. It was weird. Yeah. yeah like, okay. Now listening to it, you know, with kind of fresh ears. Um, yeah. And after, you know, the first time I heard it, um, was many many years ago. I heard it again at um, re- a record club that I have with some friends that I've I've probably spoken about before. And I still was like I was. It was kind of warming up to me. I still wasn't big, but then I got into all of this like kind of dark metal and kind of black metal, like Electric Wizard and um, uh, what's some other ones? Bison BC and Huada and stuff like this. And uh, no idea. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll make you, I, I promised you a playlist yeah. uh, before and I still am making that. Still I'll make waiting. you a dark metal. I'll make you a dark metal <laughs> playlist too. <laughs> all right. But, uh, but yeah, so going back and then hearing this album again, uh-huh. it, you know, it makes you realize if it wasn't for this album, honestly, uh, and like just Black Sabbath in general, a lot of the music we have today, you know, that's more, I guess, kind of underground, really, like metal. 
um, we wouldn't really, you know, have kind of the same sound in those uh, albums oh, and those bands that we do now. They're tremendously influential. They, they for sure, yeah. They they've influenced not just underground stuff, but like all but all that big all stuff that, too. Yeah, man. Like any in look, any of those. And- yes, exactly. Seventies, especially eighties. How many hair metal bands and how of many course. and how many like heavy metal bands they've influenced uh, yeah. it, it's it is immeasurable their influence is enormous in the metal community it's crazy i mean it what really are, is uh, they call them the godfather of metal or something i don't i don't know something the, like yeah that. godfathers of like heavy metals yeah so. yeah i mean um, yeah it's so so definitely a uh kind of definitive album for for sure for, for that genre absolutely and uh yeah like you said uh, we'll get into a little later um, in a few minutes, probably. But yeah, like Van Halen, uh, even apparently the Ramones were influenced by Black of Sabbath. Course. Yeah, but yes, uh, and, and I, I've read that some people would obviously this is their most popular album, but there's a lot of debate on whether or not it's their best album. So, ah, well. but that's that may be a discussion for another time <laughs> when we're not talking about this album. <laughs> So I like for me for me right like my first yeah. experience with Black Sabbath cuz like growing up I you know and I've mentioned this before like I never really was exposed to any of this stuff. Sure. So you know of course I I would I have heard like Iron Man growing up I I heard uh War Pigs you know like I I've heard those songs growing up but like Sure. You know if you asked me who it was I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you but my first experience, real experience, was uh, I went to see Pantera, and the bill was Deftones, Pantera, Black Sabbath. Oh wow! And I so I was first of all Pantera blew me away. That I can't I can't talk about that that concert without like talk, <laughs> like talking about how incredible Pantera was. They're so good. It was it was incredible. It honestly was like you put a CD in and you hit play. They were spot on, like such so professional and amazing sound. They fucking ripped it that night. Then Black Sabbath came on, and me, not really knowing many songs by Black Sabbath, just was yeah. kind of I didn't have many expectations. Let me tell you, man, as a I guess I was probably what, 18 years old at the time? As an 18-year-old okay. kid, I was blown away. I was shocked. At how I, you know, at the, I had this perception. Oh, they're just like an old band, like whatever. You know, they blew me yeah. away. They sounded incredible, and I had a completely newfound respect for them. Now that doesn't mean that I went out and started buying Black Sabbath records and all that stuff because I didn't, you know. But I did. Sure. That was my first experience with them, and I respected them and appreciated them for who they were. And I would say a couple years ago. Uh, Robin bought the the album on vinyl, and um, that's when I was able to actually really sit down and listen to the whole thing. And it's a cool album, man. You know, like there's there's definitely there's a lot of you know hits on on that record. I don't know if it's their, oh, for sure. I don't know if it's their best, but you know. And speaking of Pantera, like they covered Planet Caravan, so like oh cool. So like the first iteration of that song, the first you know um, version of that song that I ever heard was the Pantera version. 
of Planet Caravan. And then, you know, listening to the original, it was like mind blowing. It was like, oh my God, like this is <laughs> like, this is so crazy. It's so, it's so cool. I, I have to say, I love the Pantera version sure. and maybe because the fidelity is like the quality is better, but you know, I may get some shit for, for saying that, but look, both versions are great. <laughs> wow. But uh, of course, but yeah, man, it's 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 a it's definitely a great album, extremely influential, like I said, um, and you know, it's 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 amazing that those guys are still around, and um, I don't know, are they still doing anything? Are they still? I thought I saw recently, and I should have looked it up before. I thought I saw fairly recently that they were doing another tour. I think as black sabbath and if um, if i'm wrong about that then it's at least as just ozzy but oh, okay. i swear i saw pretty recently that they were doing at least one or two more shows nice. i don't even know how that man i uh, i don't uh, know uh, if he even sings uh, i don't know if he actually <laughs> sings anymore it might just be a track oh my I mean, god no nah. if you've watched if you've watched the if you watch the Osborne show, you know that the man barely can talk. Well, that was, you know, that was years ago. Think about and that. That's true. That was that's so, true. That was so long ago. That was like, what, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, whatever At it least. was. And I heard that during that time, he, he was definitely like drunk a lot. So, was like, he really? Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that he was definitely under the influence of something. I'm pretty sure that that came out like fairly recently oh i'm gonna have to look into that i'm yeah. curious to see if he actually did that just for the show or if he actually is just like that yeah i mean at this point you know i i'm pretty sure he's he's got some form of alzheimer's i think sure some, something sure. like that and um i can't imagine them doing much more <laughs> in the future me either but me either but um it's still cool that you know that they are trying to tour and, and all that stuff yeah yeah for sure what uh, what kind of facts do you have for us on Paranoid? Uh, so yeah, so I have a I have a few. You know, there's a there's a bunch of different sites that have all sorts of facts, but I wanted to go with ones. It just says that these are Black Sabbath paranoid facts that only like big geeks of the album would know. Okay. So I thought this would be kind of interesting. Okay. Um. So I'll just do a couple. Obviously, I don't want to go too far. Um. So I am Iron Man apparently was originally supposed to be called I am Iron Bloke <laughs> because so <laughs> doesn't have the same uh, ring to it doesn't have the same effect it does not I apparently am uh, Iron Bloke <laughs> yeah so I can't just imagine because like, you know, it's, it's it would not have been it would not have been as good I think if it was right? th- if it said iron bloke cuz it's just been like it just doesn't flow you know yeah, I mean, for like, sure. it would have been the same song and just because of that one word it might not have been as popular my god so yeah so um this guy on the on loudwire says we adore british colloquialisms as much as the next non-brit but there's something about iron bloke that immediately saps any potential power that could be contained within <laughs> 6 minutes of groundbreaking time-honored heavy metal songcraft yeah, so I thought that was I thought that was kind of interesting. And uh, if if you know, like you know, the album it has a lot of kind of dark themes to it, and like you know, kind of uh, has kind of like war themes. Right. So War Pigs was originally called Walpurgis. Okay. So it says before there was War Pigs, there was Walpurgis. The now iconic anti-war anthem began as a morbid song about Walpurgis knock, which over centuries has devolved more or less into a sort of witches' sabbath. 
So um, I don't know what any of that means. Yeah. So <laughs> basically, like the night of the war on pigs or something. And oh, okay. The and and basically, um, they changed the name because they just thought it was too gruesome sounding. I don't know. They just said it just didn't sound good. But they kept the lyrics the same. So it's still gruesome, and uh, and it details bodies burning in red ashes and eating dead rats' innards. Mm. Um, but uh, and so that stayed the same. But the uh, the record label said no to the name, Interesting. and that originally was yeah, and that originally was going to be the name of the album too. And um, oh, uh, and that brings me into Paranoid was written after the album was done. So they recorded the whole album mm-hmm. and they mastered it and everything, and they gave it to the the label four months after releasing their debut album. So they actually wrote and recorded this very very shortly after their first album. Oh, okay. Um, the record label told them they needed to write one more song. Um, because it the album itself, like in the entirety, didn't meet the obligation that the label was expecting. Okay. So they basically were just like, all right, let's write this one more song. And they went back to the studio and hastily wrote Paranoid in 25 minutes. And of course, <laughs> yeah. that ended up being like one of their like more famous songs. It's amazing. And they, they asked, and the label asked them to make that the name of the album. Nice. Um, one more thing, Paranoid, the song itself, uh, many people probably already know this, but it kind of rips off Led Zeppelin's song communication breakdown. Mm -hmm. So, uh, this just says in the early eras of hard rock and metal, it was entirely commonplace for musicians playing different club circuits to rip each other off. Um, That's fun. And uh, basically just like saying how Tony Iommi just like kind of took the same kind of drive as Communication Breakdown and kind of made it his own. Basically, he just started playing a similar riff and then the band just wrote on top of it, making it their own song. Gotcha. Um, That happens. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to have to listen because I don't, I'm not sure. I have to take a listen to, to see if I can spot the similarities. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's a, uh, that's a couple facts. I didn't want to go into too much. Um, you know, for more facts, you can just look up interesting facts on paranoid by black Sabbath. Yeah. Why, why are you making us do all the work guys? Uh, just Google you know, it. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I could go on and on. There's like 50 facts. No, so, but yeah, I, no, just I, do I think, I think for the sake of my sanity yeah. And yours, <laughs> yeah, and also the listeners, uh, yeah, we'll 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 keep it we'll keep it short and sweet there. So we want to thank our guest again, Matthias Look from Brinkman Audio, uh, for coming on. Thanks everyone for listening. Follow us on Instagram at Taste of Vinyl and on Twitter at Taste Vinyl. And remember, you can never own too much vinyl. Later, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. 